From multiple promoted locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. In this episode, we welcome Christine Burb Martin into the clubhouse to talk about community management. So, if everyone is ready, let's start. Christine, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you and I met um, at a thing called the Games Industry Gathering. Was it called that when we met or had it changed it had it not changed its name yet? I think it was still the the games industry bar, I think that's what it's right. called. And so the idea behind this is that everything's canceled. <laughs> there's no events anywhere. Yeah. And a thing that happens at conferences is that afterwards people go and hang out at the bar. And so a lot of the events people who like this is the like it keeps them alive, this these experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put together a online version of this for game industry people to kind of gather. And it's every Friday night. And Christine, you and I met there and we chatted and mm-hmm. uh, we uh, you uh, heard about what you do. We thought we'd have you on the show to talk about community management and not streaming horror games, which is the <laughs> other thing we were thinking about having you on for. But we'll have yeah. to save that for another episode. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I, I I will be honest. I'm a little glad we're not doing the horror game thing right now. <laughs> uh, it's just too much. It's too much. I'm such a Freddy cat. <laughs> yeah. I can scare y'all another day. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward calendar. to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, I guess I wanted to ask you, Christine. Um, I I heard that you have like a you have a science background, but you are currently working in community management, and I wanted to know like. How that happened? Yeah, sure. So my background, my bachelor's degree is in environmental science and sustainability. Okay. So I worked uh, predominantly for four years on research that had to do with conservation studies and and why parks exist and, uh, you know, uh, animal uh, different species endangerment. And so I did a lot with that. And I ended up working a lot on uh, data analysis um, when I was doing mm. my, my undergrad. And I worked with a program called ArcGIS, which at its core is, is meant for uh, mapping purposes for, for different, um, different things. I mainly used it for chemical tracking. Um, so I would locate different chemicals using environmental bases and, and um, different public information from different, different organizations. And I would mm. make maps of these different things. And that's kind of where, in a really weird way, my community management background kind of intertwined with that um, because I was using a lot of the same data analysis and tracking uh, tools and techniques that I was using with that for community management. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. I can see how that can track together. What what kinds of software data tracking strategies and stuff are you using? So... Essentially, even though it's it di- it's different kind of programs, so we use things like Sprout Social or Buffer, like the the things a lot of community managers um, tend to use and, and have in their toolbox. Um, even though the program is different, the ability to to analyze data in a in a scientific way is really useful in marketing. Mm. Um, because while yeah. you're while you're not coming up, you know, with a hypothesis and you know theories, it it works in very much the same way where you're you're looking at data and you're you're tracking your you know kind of the the temperature and the tone of your communities and and coming up with you know solutions and concepts and campaigns based on that data. So that's a lot of what I do um, throughout community management. That's how I've come up with a lot of campaigns because it's while community management is a very human, forward facing um, you know interactive field. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is also very analytic, and I I mm-hmm. feel like that's kind of kind of gets swept under the rug, yeah. Um, in a, in a lot of ways, because people don't think about how much analysis has to be done in order to figure out how effective your campaigns are, effective how effective your product is. So, mm-hmm. well, I guess, and um, I've only you know my extent of looking at marketing data is like logging into the company's HubSpot once in a while, mm-hmm. but. I quickly get out of there because there's so much information and I just don't know how to interpret it. But one of the things that I've heard some of the marketing folks at Allen Interactions talk about 
uh, is, you know, being able to run A-B tests and see, you know, actually do something really, really short test messaging and see what comes back and then launch something bigger. So that data is really baked into the strategy of whatever your communications is. Yeah. And, and what's, what's great about having, and you don't necessarily need a science background to, to be able to do this, but I felt that uh, a lot of my um, ability to interpret that data came from, you know, all the research I had done over the years of coming up with a hypothesis because marketing is just coming up with content or coming up with an idea and kind of just saying, well, I think it's going to work this way and doing the experiment or running the campaign and then coming back from that and, and breaking it down and analyzing it. I know this sounds very boring conceptually, but to me, it's the most interesting thing no, that, that's about cool. community management in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, it, what, what I really like about that is that like, that's not really an aspect of, like you were saying, it's not an aspect of community management that is talked about very much. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of people think of community management as, oh, I make a funny tweet and people like it. And that's the job. <laughs> but like, it, there's a lot more to it than that. And I think that like, I can, I can see that reflected in video games too, where a lot of people think it's either art or programming when there's so many other aspects of game development that isn't talked about. And I, I, I very much appreciate you talking about community management here in, in this way. Yeah, the way, the way you describe it seems like the most logical way to approach the, that field. Yeah. Because um, I think, I mean, it, like, it requires a lot of uh, things like copywriting and the uh, communications and humanities and those kinds of things that I went to school for. But it, like you said, it, it needs the, the analytics part, the humanities communication side. Frankly, anybody can figure out perhaps um, not that anyone's good. Everyone can be good at it, but it um, you can get by with an okay effort, but you need that analytics is that's what I'm hearing anyway. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And especially when you're when you're, you know, presenting this information to to a developer or to a stakeholder, they don't necessarily not that they're not interested in in the audience's response to it, but they always are more interested, at least in my experiences, in the data that backs that up. Mm-hmm. So, as long as you as long as you're saying, you know, our, our community wants to see more of this or, or our community is really excited by this. As long as you have data that you've tested and run to back that up, I would say like 90% of the time, it's more attractive to them because they're, they're, they see that you've put in that secondary effort to make sure that you have something to back that up. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not just just shooting from the hip and writing what you find to be interesting. You've first gone out and tried to figure out what your users want. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that's why um, I can't speak too much for, for all organizations, but at least the ones that I've worked with um, it's, it's a lot easier to, that's why, that's why some um, projects or some ideas take longer to get out to the public because you have to run these strategies first through Mm -hmm. development and through executives. And then it kind of comes out the other side. It just takes time because they want to see that it works first instead Mm -hmm. of just trying it. So like if you have something you want to put into a game or if you have something that you want from the game, they might not necessarily want to do it right away. But if you, if you, you know, have like a year's worth of data to back that up, then it's a little easier to say, Hey, maybe we should, you know, try it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And I'm not sure this is delving too deep into the details of this moment. I know we have a lot of questions for you about different aspects of the practice, but you mentioned, you mentioned specifically just now that you'll have ideas or someone will have ideas about things that could be put into the game specifically. And those also need to be run through some of that kind of marketing oriented testing um, mm-hmm. or community oriented testing rather. So can you talk a little bit about, about that and what that means and maybe some of your experiences with that? For sure. So I'm, I'm looking maybe for an example that I can talk about yeah, <laughs> without, yeah. without, you know, <laughs> delving too much into, into secret information here. But for, for example, um, if there's a, you know, ability in a game, this is, this is kind of general, but I, I promise it has a backup premise. Um, if somebody has an ability or a mechanic in the game that they really, really want, and they they speak to you on a on a one to one basis, then you have you have a starting point for this idea. 
mm-hmm. and then you can kind of gauge it with the rest of your community um, in a way that's that's either straightforward or maybe a little more vague, depending on how you as a community manager want to do want to kind mm-hmm. of um, bring it up. So you can kind of get some concept art from it, for example, and present it as, oh, we're just showing you some, you know, some cool ideas that we have. But you're kind of also trying to gauge the community's reaction to this this one thing that this person had mentioned. How many more people do you think would want this in in the game, or maybe want this added to the to the game? So you're you're looking at that data, and then you can kind of show that to developers and and kind of use it as a as either a you know a turning point in development or. Mm-hmm. If you're still in the development process, sometimes it's, it's a little bit easier to, to change. Um, or if you're in early access or or whatever, wherever you're in the process, post game it's it's a little more difficult unless you're planning on adding, you know, unless you're a live product and you're adding DLC and and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still you're still able to go to you know a developer or a partner and say, hey, somebody brought this up. And we were able to present it, and it turns out a lot more people want to see this. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know it's both a community and a marketing uh, technique that I find seem to work a lot in, especially in the early access phases of finding out what people were most interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you can also take that topic and you can go forward with it and and kind of so say you you label it as like a theme or or something like that and then you can kind of gauge things in like the similar realm of that idea or topic and you can you can kind of pitch other things based off of that and see how people react to it mm-hmm. and see if it was kind of just a one-off idea or if something else can come from that so yeah so this actually influence over the design or it's information that helps People make decisions about the design and it helps shape that development. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, and I wish I had that at work. <laughs> that would be so valuable to just be able to know what your audience is looking for, or at least like like uh, hint at a thing and see if your audience is interested in that thing or not. Yeah. I mean, 2018 on, I worked on a uh, early access game called Beach Quit mm-hmm. um, with, with a studio called Bowl Cut Studios. And one of the great things about working with that studio was how they use their discord um, oh. to mm-hmm. affect development. So they actually have, um, and especially from early on, they, they've had this, but they have an ideas channel where people are just constantly pitching ideas to the developers. Mm-hmm. And because it's only a two man team, they can kind of just change, change things on the fly if they really want to. Mm. But so many really cool ideas have kind of come from the community as well as the developers own own ideas. Yeah. And if they if they put an idea into the game or if they if they put a concept into the game, they actually test it with the with the community first and they give them a first look at this idea and then can base that data on how they should kind of change and uh tweak the, the whatever design or mechanic that they have in the game, which I think is really cool and is yeah. something that a lot of developers could really benefit from, especially in the indie space. Yeah, yeah. that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Was Mage Quit an early access game? Yeah, so Mage okay. Quit was actually, um, I believe it was greenlit when when uh, Greenlight was still a thing on Steam. Oh, okay. That was a long time ago now. <laughs> yeah, it's, they've, they've been in development or, or they've been around for a while. Um, okay. I believe they've been around. So it's twenty. I think they were around since twenty sixteen. Mm. But they were they were in early access for um, for a bit because both of the developers also had full time jobs. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the lead developer. Um, I I feel bad telling the story for him, but <laughs> but uh, I've heard him. I I was actually their community manager. Um, so I've heard this story a lot. He actually, uh, he left his, his job last February to work on the game full time. So right. it's, it's jumped from early access into full release. It, it, it did last October, but a lot of the early development early on, they, you know, built a community from the ground up and they kind of built their community alongside their development cycle, okay. which I think was a really interesting concept. Yeah. Um, especially as a community manager to kind of run with that and, have the ability to build a community from the the earliest stages of development all the way into release because the community has kind of ebbed and flowed and and, 
and changed over time. But there are still a really big core amount of players that we've had that have stuck with the game throughout that time, kind of evangelized it, which I think is a really cool uh, thing to see. Yeah. You know, you, you when when we do like um, in-person play tests or just like at a smaller scale, it, like a lot of those same things sound really familiar. Like there's there's always one person who who will love your game, even in, from the early prototype and follow you all the way to release and give you lots of good feedback. And there's always the events you go to where you get you farm interesting ideas from people who've never seen the game before. And it that sounds like a really sort of like inefficient version of what you're describing, which is like an infrastructure for that. So I don't I doubt that really this these kinds of strategies are unfamiliar to a lot of our audience, but maybe they hadn't thought about leveraging them leveraging them in a way that is much more related to community management, which I think a lot of us who don't have a background in it tend to think of mainly uh, from the social media side mm-hmm. or the uh, promotion side or the I'm going to build an audience so I can so the game will live in a marketplace. And we think less about its place in the development of the game. So it's interesting to hear you talk about that in similar terms to how we talk about game development and feedback and playtesting and all that stuff normally, because it is just another version of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be blunt about it, <laughs> a lot of a lot of the people who who talk to you online um, will say, "Oh, well, you just do social media management," and it's mm-hmm. not a phrase I haven't heard from people in games as well, but. If you actually sit down and, and talk with, um, you know, other community developers, the amount of strategies and software that we have to know in order to approach these different kind of strategies is so widely ranged from, from community managers in other industries. So mm-hmm. even though you could be a community manager in, in an industry like something like um, health, it's going to be con- completely different in something like tech and, and video games. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's something that's not really realized by a lot of our industry still. And I, I feel like a lot of places still don't really know where to place us mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. because I've, I've worked in everything from, from marketing to, you know, they've put me with production, they've put me with, and, and they're not really sure where to put me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's always a good opportunity though, to learn. Which is, uh, which is something I've always tried to do in, because I, when I started on MageQuit, I worked solely with the developers because it was a small team. But mm-hmm. then when I moved to my next team, I worked more with production and QA, which was really mm-hmm. valuable. So I think it, it kind of has, it, there are pros and cons to everything in that way. Maybe, maybe it depends on the team, it depends on the project, depends on the needs of the community and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. It definitely sounds like what you're describing sounds a lot more to me like product ownership or product development than, like you said, social media management. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, there's an aspect of that to it, but the larger practice is more about making sure the product is aligned with what the customer needs, which is really dry. And I just feel like I shouldn't be using that language on the game dev podcast, but <laughs> you know, you're going to spend all this time making this thing and you want it, people to play it. But that does lead me to a question I want to ask before. I want to come back to the tools. I definitely want to come back to what you just said about tools. But I want to come back to the topic of MageQuit specifically and ask um, what you observed for the developers and how they made decisions um, that balanced their vision for the game and what they were hearing from the community about what they wanted for the game. And if they ever conflicted, how did you see the developers make those choices and, and what information were you able to give them that helped them navigate that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so I actually started out as a fan of of MageQuit. I was a games writer, and I interviewed them at PAX East, I believe in like 2017, and their art style was significantly different back then, that if you look at the game now, it is it is so, so different. The, the way the environment affects players in the game mechanically um, is so much different than it was in the beginning. Yeah. Um, even just a year and a half ago, they completely changed that. And I think a lot of that feedback was things that they were hearing from from the community, from people at conventions, even before I joined them as a community manager. Mm. So they were already doing the things that they needed to do in order to receive this feedback. 
I think when I joined them, I was able to analyze things a little differently and work with them in that way. But I was also helping them with other aspects of marketing that they needed in terms of maybe PR work and and, uh, social media management, like you were saying. Those are very important aspects of of community management as well, um, especially in smaller studios. But to speak to your question more, um, when they were looking at things like adding uh, keyboard access to the game, there was definitely a lot of back and forth conversation between the developers and the community on how that should look and how that should work. Because the Mage Quit in particular, at least to, to someone like me or to someone who's very naturally uses a controller, the game feels natural when you're using a controller. Mm-hmm. But when you talk to somebody who works on on keyboard, mouse and keyboard, it's more natural to them. Hmm. Um, so having that conversation around a game that was, you know, controller based for most of its life cycle, and then moving into something else was definitely a back and forth conversation between the developers and the community. And it was definitely a challenge for them, at least from my perspective, of how they were going to how they were going to work with the community on kind of solving that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, because so many people had so many different answers on what they wanted to have. And they did obviously want to give the community as much accessibility as possible. That's That's been a big part of their design. But that, that definitely was an issue um, that took a little more tinkering um, than adding an element or something like that, at least from the community, working with the community uh, standpoint. That, that's good. I, I think that's great. I didn't know that you were also a fan of Mage Mage Quit beforehand. So like you got to use that enthusiasm to help develop the game, which is really cool. Yeah, it was <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's kind of an interesting story with with that. I played it, I reviewed it, I really I like the the interview is uh, I used to work with an organization called Gaming Access Weekly, so the mm-hmm. review is still out there of my my first review of the game. Oh. We should find that. <laughs> yes, we should. <laughs> um, but I remember saying in the in the article itself how at that point in my in my career I wasn't very into competitive gaming at that point yet. Mm. And Mage Quit is a very competitive game, and I played it, and I wasn't very good at it, <laughs> and that kind of pushed me into wanting to play it more because mm-hmm. um, I was getting so frustrated that I was not good at it. But I really liked the game. Yeah. And I liked the concept, so I wanted to get good at it. And then I came back to them at a at a different convention, and I saw that the game had changed even more. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I still have my notes from the last interview, and I interviewed them again to see how you know, the development cycle had changed. Um, so there was a little bit of time before I jumped in full-time full as a community manager but basically, I I had been um, speaking with the developer back and forth about about the development cycle and about how they were handling their community. And at one point, I just said, "I want to work on this. Like, I you guys have a have a need to have a community manager and someone to help you with PR stuff at conventions. Um, I want to work on this game." And they basically just gave me the ability to do that. Cool. Which was kind of my first uh, real you know, games community management job outside of, um, outside of gaming or, uh, news outlets. Um, because I wasn't, I was a community developer on, um, gaming access weekly, but I wasn't for, I hadn't been yet for an actual developer or publisher. So it was Mm. also kind of my first foray on into that side. It's great. You opened your own door. Yeah. It's been a fun journey with them. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good story of courage. You know, I mean, like there's so many opportunities out there. Go get them. Be like the burb. <laughs> well, I don't know. Spend spend a few years of, of college unnecessarily, but that's. <laughs> hey, team. Hey, hey Mark. Let's say, let's say I, I'm a Nice Games Club listener. Uh, imagine this with me. Um, yes. And I want to chat with other Nice Games Club listeners. Um, you know, I can contact, I can mention Nice Games Club on Twitter. I can email. I can go to the feedback form. There's lots of ways to get in touch with your nice hosts. But how do I get in touch with other listeners? That seems, I mean, that can't be, there's no way that's possible. Oh, gosh. It's a big internet. There's got to be some way. Yeah? Is, is there a place 
for the imagined me in this scenario, Stephen? Hmm, I think you could join the Nice Games Club Discord channel. Yeah? That could work. There's you know, a I've heard of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're, we're super uh, smooth. We really... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It was so subtle. Uh, but no, Stephen is right. Uh, we uh, wanted a place for our listeners to come and just chat with each other, and yeah. um, which we have not uh, really had a place to do before. And so um, in the our Twin Cities Game Dev community, we have a Discord server, Twin Cities uh, Game Dev. And in there, we got a channel just for listeners to talk about the show. And it's Twin Cities Game Dev, but like with the show itself, uh, all, all from anywhere are welcome. So um, hop in that channel and uh, chat about the show. Uh, we're going to be there from time to time. You can ask us questions. Um, you can, you know, talk about uh, recent episodes. You can say, hey, remember this one from long ago. Um, and it's a new thing, so we're seeing if we can get folks to, to join. So why don't you be a part of the Vanguard? And uh, the way you can get there is how, Ellen? Well, you go to nicegames.club slash discord. And that'll take you directly there. Stephen, what is that URL one more time? Nicegames.club slash discord. Well, I know I wanted. I don't want to ask about tools too. So I'm gonna. Sure. I'm gonna ask about tools first, and then I want to ask about skills um, and maybe some not necessarily academics because there's some weird times right now and whatever. We'll get to that again. But uh, you mentioned that there's this huge range of tools and software that you're using to take a look at the data and analyze it and get up to date information. So can you explain or maybe kind of list off some of the ones that you use and how you use them? Sure. So. Uh, at the core, we, as community managers, have a lot of third-party software that we use in order to um, analyze analyze data, such as you know Sprout or uh, Agora Pulse or Buffer or Hootsuite. You know, it really depends on what your needs are as a community manager, and also what your um, organization is is working with already. Um, so you may be working with a completely different set of tools when you when you move from one job to the next. Yeah. Um, but at its core, it's, it is basically the, the same information that you're looking for, you know, um, things like link, uh, link clicks or, you know, how many times something was retweeted or liked or something, how many times uh, something was engaged with, how much your, your piece of content or your campaign was engaged with. So there's so many of those, like, little pieces of information that you can use on a larger scale. Um, and then you break things down into like groups of content. So groups of tweets or groups of Facebook posts or Instagram mm -hmm. posts, whatever you seem to be working with. And not every community manager does it the same way. Like I definitely have more of an analytic brain. So I tend to look at things a lot more analytically, but somebody else who may not work in that way may look at something a little more creatively and not that that mm -hmm. hinders or is is a wrong way to do it it's just how they work and if they can do it effectively um it's just another method of technique for them that they can mm -hmm. have in their toolbox i i look at community managers like uh victoria trent from kit fox games and and harris foster from uh, finji i look at the content they put out and maybe it's not always necessarily you know more technical writing but it definitely gets their community engaging with them yeah. um which is you know, the most important thing in community management is how your community is engaging with you. That's some of the set of tools, but other things that I've learned over the course of um, being community manager is working with things like MailChimp. How do you run a newsletter? How do you run a mm -hmm. newsletter campaign and things like that? Um, also, um, things like Photoshop and Premiere. I learned video, uh, you know, photo editing and video editing just so I could become a community manager because they a lot of places will expect you to be able to capture content and make um, graphics for social media channels and websites mm -hmm. and things like mm -hmm. that. So that was something I kind of had to teach myself. It's not something that I necessarily learned in, in college or, or learned working at any particular job, but I just kind of sat down and taught myself the, the basic rules that I could use to make content. And then over time, working in different jobs, I would have you know, I would learn from graphic designers or I would learn from from different uh, from from producers how I can make my content even better. Mm -hmm. 
I like the group learning thing, like, you know, learning from everybody else in order to improve your own craft. It's mm-hmm. valuable. Mm-hmm. And I, I really love stories when people are able to find resources outside of school to teach themselves useful skills because, yeah. uh, and this is, this is kind of what I was nodding at earlier. College is real expensive. And mm. now you're spending the same amount of money, but at least for the time being, you can't even go on campus. So it's even right. more expensive, sort of. Mm, right, right. Um, but there are a lot of tools out there and people who are willing to help teach you to to use those tools uh, to do really cool things. So I really like that part of your story. Thank you. More than that, like, even if you do have an academic background in the field you're entering, I think what, uh, Christine, this is definitely true in what you're describing, but it's probably true in every industry where there's going to be more tools and more things you need to learn. Mm-hmm. Then you're prepared to to know when you start. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. So being open to to like all those different sort of um, suites of tools, you're not going to use each one of them on each job, but you need to know all of them to be prepared for any job, um, which is sort of interesting. So the, what I want to ask you about that is um, when, especially when you're a small team, mm-hmm. you you have to choose uh, where to put your allocate your resources. So. I think it's. I think you've done a really good job of explaining why it's important to know how it all works. Mm-hmm. But what goes into the process of deciding, like, oh, we're not going to spend as much time on Facebook, or, or we're not going to try, we're not going to go for Reddit, or maybe we're not the right game to do a big Discord community? How do you decide what to focus on, and and, and importantly, what not to focus on? Good question. Yeah, there's definitely, especially when you're starting out with a campaign, there's definitely a lot of conversations around what tools that you're going to use. Um, So what methods of communication are we going to concentrate on? Is this audience more centered around Facebook or is this audience more centered around Twitter? Twitter, a lot of the time, is is a really good tool because so many people tend to use Twitter no matter your age range. Um, But a lot of your... A lot of your audience could also use something... So you have like a secondary tool, like maybe something like Instagram or TikTok, or, or Reddit, depending on where you want to find certain types of information. So I worked on a, I worked on a title um, called Galaxy, which we decided ultimately Discord wasn't maybe great for. So we kind of decided to focus on other aspects of communication in order to work with our players. And what we actually ended up doing was we would write our in-game events, but we would also have them as social content. So that people were were reading our, you know, the stories that we were creating in more than one place, but we were also kind of using them as a way to remind them that something was coming up in the game. So mm. it was it was a really interesting experience there uh, to see how many people engaged with our content on social and in the game as well. It really just depends on what you as a team feel like you need to focus on, and sometimes you you come up with a, you know, you come up with a marketing strategy and marketing plan and it completely changes halfway through. You completely decide, well, we want to add this or we want to kind of step back from this. And so it, it's constantly altering what you're doing, looking at the information and coming up with the new concepts um, based on that information. Yeah. What I like about that is the example you have about that social content feeding into the in-game content. Mm-hmm. It sounds like whatever you do, whatever strategy you have, any techniques you could have to not duplicate work, you should take it. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think that's I think a lot of people struggle with is like even with your own personal brands or whatever, or social media presence or or anything like it's hard to write the same funny joke in all the, you know, or whatever. (laughs) And like and so you don't. And so for an actual, you know, in a professional environment, like you got to find ways to optimize that stuff. And so it seems like I hadn't considered that having in-game content tie really directly with your, with your social content. But of course, I mean, just the, the way you describe that connection between development and community, uh, it naturally follows that you'd want to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a, I don't think a lot of people understand that. Um, I certainly don't th- hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. It, I mean, for example, I, I worked on something called the Grandia HD Collection. It was a, you know, 25-year-old uh, JRPG from Japan that came out at the same time as Final Fantasy VII back oh. in the day, which is funny because it also ca- kind of came out around the same time as Remake. So I oh. <laughs> 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 But when we were doing community for that, 
a really cool thing that I like to do was to take bits of story that players maybe weren't looking at in game because there's so much content outside of the main story in terms of speaking with other characters in the game or interacting with items that are really interesting that people maybe won't look at 100% of the time and maybe showing them that it exists on your you know your social pages will get people a little more interested like a lot of a lot of gamers i find are naturally curious and will go the extra mile to find this content mm. but if you aren't you know you also have to talk to people who aren't you know naturally gamers or maybe don't play a lot of video games. So it's cool to see how they're interacting with that content and saying, hey, maybe I didn't see that before, or, oh, I'm going to look at this the next time I run through that area because that's actually really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. That that reminds me, that story that you brought up there, um, that reminds me of like uh, dealing with um, the, I guess, the, the bad eggs of the community. I can't come up with a nicer way of this. <laughs> That, um, That's I know the nicest way you could put it. I know, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we love all our children, but some of them can be bratty sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you handle um, like trolls and like uh, I don't know if you've had to deal with like review bombs or anything like that. Those kinds of things. How do you handle that as uh, as a community developer? Like, do you what what would you what would you do with in those situations? I've been staring at this question on the list for the last like half an hour. I'm like, how's she going to answer this one? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, the problem with that that is that there's no one you know one good answer for this for this question ever. Yeah, it's yeah. really it's it's super situational. Mm-hmm. I've spoken with a few other community managers about how they kind of strategize um, working around people who are maybe trolls in their community. Yeah. And a lot of them have had really good ideas about how you formulate community guidelines really early on to make sure that if somebody in your community is being, you know, being a troll or being rude or even being threatening, mm. that you cut it off right there because yeah. they they understand when they came into that community what the rules were and they're breaking a rule. Mm-hmm. So you 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 can treat it that way. I think that's that's a really good way of of working with it because you know, there's no, there's really no way to kind of go around that. You know, you have a rule in your community. It's been stated, it's been known to you. And having those rules in a place like maybe your Discord or or on your social somewhere so that people, you know, can either refer back to it or um, have that information in front of them. But also sometimes you can talk to people one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I know some places maybe try not to do that. I, I've had situations where they where I've had someone say to me, maybe, maybe just ignore it or, you know, don't do it. Mm. But I feel like a lot of, a lot of the situations can be avoided if you just talk to people like human beings, even if they aren't in their most rational mind right yeah. now, which is something I actually learned to do quite well as a uh, financial aid assistant. Um, oh. Wow. You have worked many jobs. Yeah. <laughs> That's I've beautiful. A really weird resume. <laughs> <laughs> um, when Great. I was in, I was, I was in grad school, I was getting my, my master's in writing in grad school. And mm-hmm. in order to pay for school, I worked at the college. So I worked in financial aid and I had to deal with a lot of angry parents and oh, yeah. uh, confused students on a daily basis because I was front office, yeah. which is also another forward facing uh, position that I've worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so learning to to speak with someone on the phone or over an email about their finances really helped because you're also just talking to gamers who are, who are, you know, they're putting their money forward mm-hmm. towards yeah. a product and they want to know that it's going towards a good place or a good product that that's going to work and it's going to entertain them. So sometimes just speaking with them one-on-one is a really good way to kind of diffuse a situation um, in some aspects, but yeah. it all depends on how, You've set your set up your community guidelines and and how your either your developer or publisher or whoever wants you to work with them. Yeah. Sometimes when you're causing a ruckus, all you want is to be heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for the for those people, it seems like that technique can work, but it it's not going to work for everybody. No. It's not going to diffuse every situation, right? So what happens? What happens at that point? I mean, sometimes you do have to use you know the block button. Yeah. 
you have to you have to you know cut them off from your community because if if they're going to be con- you know continuing to create a, a toxic situation for the rest of your community especially if it becomes you know dangerous to your your team or your developers you have to i i solely believe you have to cut that off right away mm-hmm. you know it's it's difficult because there's there's so many different teams and there's so many different products and and ways of working with things um that it's not always looked at as if that's happening. Like sometimes you just have to let it go, mm-hmm. which is un- unfortunate, but it's just something that has, has to happen sometimes. And you can't, mm-hmm. you can only do your best as a community manager at the end of the day, because there's so many other, you know, there's so many people that you have to work with and, and there's a community that you have to take care of. So you can't always, you know, do that one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the same vein, how do you go about like promoting um, positivity in, in the community? Like you know, getting people to interact just in general. Really, <laughs> I, I imagine that's kind of difficult mm-hmm. for people. Like a lot of people like lurking and things. Um, how do you like get people to interact in the community in a way that promotes positive interactions? Yeah, like an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's tons of ways that social has allowed us to do this in a, in a fun way, especially with, you know, being able to repost art that other, you know, fans have created on your, on your social channels and, and yeah. things like Fan Art Friday. Or if you want to create a individual hashtag for your specific community, um, I know in MageQuit, we used MageQuit Monday for a really long time to, mm-hmm. because we were on local multiplayer. So we had to come up with a way to kind of create spaces where our where our players could compete with each other. Okay. So that's kind of where we did that on social, but we also did it in our Discord as well. So we yeah. promoted like this positive space for for players to find each other in. Or for that the remake I was talking about, for example, we had a giveaway celebration where we celebrated the release in Japan, but also the uh, twenty five years that it had been out. Um, so we were asking people to, um, people around the world to talk about their favorite memories that they have, not just of the game, but the experiences that they've had with the game. Mm-hmm. So you had so many people talking about, you know, I met my best friend through this game or, or I played this with my grandma or, and mm-hmm. th- then you would kind of use that as a, as a base to promote positivity within your content and within your community. Yeah, that's good. Right. So not just like, hey, let's all say nice things. Yeah. It's actually providing something of value mm-hmm. that that can encourage that positivity. That's uh, that hook, right? That'll get people not just talking, but actually sharing and experiencing and s- some real, real interactions, right? Mm-hmm. Not just uh, likes and comments. Yeah. And, and on, on the day to day, it's it's important to engage with your community, but in the in the long term, it's I think it's super important to promote positivity, uh, especially when there's you know so much negativity out there already. Yeah, yeah. It's a positive feedback loop, kind of that you're describing. You know, you you start you start building a game, you start building a positive community, a positive and an active community around that game. That gives you more ideas and more energy to feed back into your game, which gives the community more to interact and discuss and, and communicate about, which then feeds back into your game. So it really sounds like maybe the more metaphorical ways of describing what you do is you start a small bowl rolling or small uh, ball rolling down the hill and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's, that's kind of the process that you own. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's hard when you're a community manager who's been put on a, on a project that maybe necessarily didn't have the best starting point to begin with, mm. um, which is definitely something I've, I've experienced. Um, sometimes it, it just happens. Not naming names, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not, not naming names, but it's, it's definitely something that you can, you can work to change. Um, and you have to be willing and your, you know, developers and your producers have to be willing to work on that with you mm. because a, a project can, you know, die on that hill or, or not in terms of how you interact with the community. So things like, especially with MageQuit early on, the developers already had a really good rapport with their community. 
I just kind of took that over and they already knew me as a player and as a fan. So it was, it was cool to like know where a lot of these fans were standing and to be able to use that to create a positive community with the developers who already had a good rapport with their community. Mm-hmm. Right. And they could, they could trust you to take over that process. And so that sounds like a really perfect scenario, but what do you, what happens when you have working with developers who are maybe a little more protective of their vision, a little bit less flexible to community feedback? How do you know when to, how do you manage that, um, that connection between community and developer, not just when there's conflict, but when there, when there's just resistance to the process entirely? Unfortunately, in terms of community managers, it feels like a lot of the time uh, we're kind of at the bottom of the totem pole there, mm-hmm. um, depending on on how big of an organization you work in. Like with Matequit, I always felt like I had a hundred percent line of trust between me and the developers. And like like you were saying, how do you kind of you know work with uh, someone who has a little more secrecy to their vision? But it's really just trying as hard as you can and 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 doing the best work that you can as a community manager. And if, you know, a developer or, or someone decides to kind of push back on that, it's kind of meeting them in the middle. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's not always the best situation to be in. And it's not always going to, you know, it's not always going to be a great situation that you work in, but you just have to try and be, you you have to look at your position as a community manager and say, Mm -hmm. I can do what I can do here. Yeah. 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 You know, I will I will try as hard as I can to communicate this to partners and to developers and whoever, but it's not always going to be a hundred percent all the time. Yeah, because that's just right. how life is. So that's not yeah. you know that's not yeah. just this industry. That's any industry that you work mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do your job, and then it's up to them to to follow through on their responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Exactly, uh, and and all you can do is just keep doing that job. So there's only yeah, there's only so much, especially yeah, yeah, with the way people think of community management as being outside or under uh, the development hierarchy. So hopefully that changes. Mm -hmm. I I have to give a lot of credit to to my fellow community managers because when you're when you're in college, or, or at least when I was in college, they didn't really talk about a lot of these positions like. Yeah, community manager or you know PR or a lot of the stuff that's on the marketing side, but even on the development side, things like production or mm-hmm. things like um, graphic designer, like those things mm-hmm. weren't really talked about when you go to a non-video game specific college. Mm-hmm. Right. So I didn't know a lot of these things existed until I went out and did conventions and spoke with these teams. So I was kind of lucky in that way. And a lot of people don't have that position, unfortunately, to be in where they can go and do that research themselves. So I'm hoping that that kind of changes in the way that we look at different positions in the gaming community and kind of be more vocal about them. But mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's a constantly evolving industry too. So these positions are always, you know, being updated or created or changed in the way that we approach them. Yeah, and I wish that, like, like I was saying before, and like you're saying, no, I wish more people knew it because, well, if if somebody is interested in pursuing game development, like, and they don't feel like they have um, the desire or skills to either do art or programming, there's so many other avenues that you can access making games without without just having to do those two things. Um, and I just wish that more people had a better understanding of it, especially because, like. I, I, it sounds to me like Mage Quick got a lot of value from you, your relationship with them. And like, I think that like that relationship can provide a lot of value for other smaller games or large games, frankly. Um, I don't think it gets enough attention. And if it got more attention, then like more people could be aware of it. And more people can benefit off of that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. more developing developer groups would consider their community managers as partners in the practice of developing yeah. game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which sounds yeah. like it would make your job easier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, looking looking at Mage Quit, you know, I a hundred percent believe that they could have they could have done what I was doing, even even if I hadn't stepped in. Mm-hmm. They're a really good team, a really dedicated team too. 
But I think that me being there definitely helped them look at things a little bit differently because I had had conversations with other developers and, you know, kind of brought that viewpoint when I was working with them. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not that it's not just that we need to be, you know, like you were saying, it's not that just we need to be known, but I hope that the relationship between, you know, community management or, and marketing development will evolve over time to be more cooperative and more collaborative. Yeah. I hope so too. So Christine, where can people find you on the internet? Um, they can find me on Twitter at the smallest burb. Um, they can al- also find me on Twitch, uh, also the smallest burb. Um, I stream horror games and mage quit. I am a competitive mage quit player. Uh, go House of Crows. <laughs> um, that's that's my team that's playing this week. Cool. And uh, they can. Uh, I'm also um, an organ donation advocate on my channel, so they'll see me doing that as well. And uh, cool. yeah, that's my stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and we'll have you back to scare Stephen uh, with stories of horror games. <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> I won't be on that episode. <laughs> We're going to have to surprise Stephen with the episode itself. Stephen. It's the horror. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> I'll have to bring video clips next time. Next time I'll yeah. have my, my good computer that uh, we'll, I can record on. <laughs> the episode will just be us recording Stephen's reactions as we force him to watch your stream. <laughs> Bonus content, right? Yeah. <laughs> We, we've been meaning to start that Patreon. Now we know what we can put there. <laughs> you want to see more, more screams? Pay <laughs> $1 for a Patreon. Right. Oh, what a, more what a, streams with screams. <laughs> well, that's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources and today's conversation. If you like this episode, give us a review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends. Independent podcasts like ours rely on word of mouth to grow. We love hearing from our listeners. For a quick way to give us feedback on the show, head over to nicegames.club slash feedback and fill out a short little form. You can also get in touch with your nice hosts on Twitter at Nice Games Club, where I always laugh at this point because it's always funny, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and attack mode puppies. Or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Ask us questions, suggest topics, or just say hello. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. That's our show. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll try that again because it was funny.